It's great to see you. I'm glad you guys all made it up early this morning. We had a late night last night here at church, but uh, many of those people that were helping last night are here this morning. Some of them were here all day yesterday preparing. What a great, great night um, for the church. There were over 140 folks here uh, sharing dinner and entertainment and fun night. It was great. Uh, we, got to, we got to see all kinds of things that we didn't even know people could do. Um, it was a fun, fun fun evening for sure. And so hopefully uh, the next time, if you weren't able to be there, hopefully next time um, you can make it and, and come with us. Maybe next year will be an even bigger, uh, more fun evening than that. And it will be if all of you could be there with us. So keep that in mind. We are still uh, inquiring of, of Poland. So anybody that wants to, to jump in on that, um, we're, we're, this month of December is when we're really starting to take uh, those deposits and things for the trip. So just, just so you know, um, that is there. And then in two weeks, uh, two weeks, uh, we'll be starting our Christmas series, and so uh, that Christmas series is entitled Wonder, and I asked you last week to just begin to dream and think on those terms in regards to the Christmas story and what happened as a part of that event, and just, just dream and think about that, because it's something that's definitely lost, uh, even on people of faith in this world. Um, we, 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 we celebrate that baby Jesus element, maybe, but there's so much more in the history and everything surrounding that event. So just begin to wonder and dream, prepare your hearts for that study together here in just a couple weeks, all right? Now for this week, we're in Ephesians chapter 6, the last third of it, two-thirds of it or so. So if you haven't turned there, go right ahead and do that. But I want to ask you a, a few questions, talk about a few things here. For those of us that grew up in the church, okay? For those that grew up in the church, you are probably quite familiar with this text. It's quite possible you were taught this as a child. And if you, like me, went to Sunday school, probably you had a poster on the wall in Sunday school that might have looked something like this regarding these truths to you. The old Armor of God poster, Right? We've seen them all kinds of places. You've seen them on the internet now and, and all those kinds of things. So let's review them, if you know them, very quickly. You've got the belt of, there you go, very good. Participation is key. Keep that on. Breastplate of righteousness, very well done. Your feet are fitted with the gospel of peace, that's right. The shield of faith, right? The helmet of, right? And one last one that you were taught, at least, the sword of the spirit, now, I'm just going to ask you a few questions. If you've never heard of these, don't worry about it. We're going to go over them a little more in detail here in just a minute. But even those that have heard them, when you were shared these probably as a child for the first time ever, did you understand them? Did you know why these were shared with you, why you needed these things? Did you have any idea how to actually use these tools? Did you even know how to obtain them? My guess is, if you're like me, even though I grew up in the church, I had no idea. It was just presented, very matter-of-fact, here are these things. Okay, great. That's, that's wonderful. That's real cute. It's wonderful. It's a neat image, I guess you could say. What a great description, but probably not that useful in 2019. After all, the weapons of war have changed drastically since the days of Paul and his time in prison. So we might remember the terms but many people have long discounted the effectiveness within this world that we live in. And so, my challenge to you today is if you've not taken these principles to heart, even if you learned them as a child, I pray that your minds and hearts are open and willing to, willing to hear them anew today and accept them. You see, the application of today's word could come off as a little bit harsh 
or insensitive in this politically correct world that we live in, we're really not allowed to talk about hard things, are we? We can't, they might offend someone. After all, Jesus is love, right? God is love, right? Well, yes, he absolutely is. First John 4 tells us those exact things. God is full of mercy and grace, and these things are true. But this loving God, full of grace and mercy, loved you and I so much that he sent his one and only son to this world to live and ultimately to die. But he never said that we would live perfect lives free of challenges, of pain, of tragedy, heartbreak, disease, and in fact, evil. The reality is, he taught the disciples quite the opposite. He painted a very different picture of life. You must understand that those 12 guys that chose to follow him, probably to a man, thought they were hanging out with the future king of Israel. They thought they were headed for lives of power, of influences, maybe even riches and fame. Jesus was going to overcome all the obstacles of the world, and they were going to be right on his coattails all the way there. What a future they had. So when Jesus shares with them things like he did in John 16, 33, hey, I told you all this stuff, it's all great, so that you'll have some peace. But the reality is, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Imagine being one of those disciples thinking you're going to be a prince, if you will, within his kingdom of Israel, and he's telling you this, and you're saying, trouble? Wait, wait, wait. I did not sign up for trouble, Jesus. What are you talking about? I didn't leave everything behind in order to live a difficult hard, potentially dangerous, or even deadly lifestyle? What are you talking about? See, just like Jesus knew what was in store for every single one of his disciples, he knows what's ahead for each of us as well. He knows the victories that you and I are going to have in this life. He knows every tear that you and I will cry. He knows everyone we will have a chance to share his love with in this lifetime. He knows those that will betray us those that will hurt us. He knows our successes, he knows our failures, and he knows, and he loves us. And he has now provided us with the tools, the weapons, if you will, we need to make it through every single one of life's trials that await. You see, what we're not allowed to share with you in this politically correct world is that you and I are at war. There's evil raging all around us. Just take a look. We're surrounded by the enemy every moment of the day. Satan has even infiltrated the bride of Christ, the church. He works to spread lies, deception, anger, laziness, apathy amongst the people of God. After all, those outside the church, those outside of the love of God right now, he already owns them. It's not a lot of need to waste a whole lot of time there. If he can attack those that are not prepared within, he renders us ineffective, incompetent, even irrelevant, unable to defend our loved ones or ourselves in the ways that God desires. You see, spiritual warfare is absolutely real. Even if you don't think you've ever experienced it, you have. It's not imaginary. It's not some alternate universe or dream. We are in the middle of a lifelong battle against these forces of evil. Here's the thing. We don't have to admit it. We can absolutely deny it. We don't have to acknowledge it. We can pretend it doesn't exist, but that does not mean it is not real. What it does mean is that you and I will not be prepared. We're not ready for battle. We can't protect ourselves or those we love from the confusion, the chaos, the deception, the foolishness of this world. It means that we'll allow things like slander and gossip to rule our tongues. We'll expose our lives to the sin that so easily corrupts and entangles. 
We will give ourselves over to things like lust and anger and bitterness and rage. And our selfish pride and greed will be what guide us through this life at the expense of things like our marriage, our kids, and our friends. We'll forever possess fighting, unforgiving spirits bent on division. You see, ultimately, our freedom is at stake. Our freedom, which is rooted and established in the love and sacrifice of Jesus, rests in the balance if we don't take this battle seriously. So just real quickly, a few things that the Bible tells us about spiritual warfare that that we need to know. Obviously, you could spend an entire series talking about spiritual warfare, but here's the reality. When we learn even just the basics, then we can begin to learn how to live in spiritual victory, which is the key. First and foremost, we've got to acknowledge that we are at war. Every day, Satan fights against God. There is no middle ground. If you are on God's side, you are absolutely Satan's enemy. And so, as we'll read today, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil within the heavenly realms. Satan wants your soul. But if you've given your soul to Jesus, then he wants to steal your witness. He wants to steal your ministry, possibly even your own life. We are at war. Second, you've got to choose the right weapons. To win this battle, you have to put on the full armor of God so you can take a stand against the devil's evil schemes. You cannot win this battle without the right weapons. I'll show them to you here in just a moment. Number three, these weapons are employed through prayer. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests, Paul orders. Further, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the saints. Paul knows that we have spiritual power when we're connected with his Spirit in prayer. And finally, number four, you must stay close to Jesus every single day. This battle that's being waged against us every day, so we must remain in Christ. That word remain, to abide in, to stay connected with, to stay close to. And if we do that, Jesus promises us you will bear much fruit. But it's also in that same breath says, but apart from me, you can do nothing. We've got to remember those things. So as we dive fully into the text, remember this is Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. Paul loves these people, and in spite of his circumstances, which ultimately are a death sentence, Paul writes these words of encouragement, these words of advice, and now he finally gives them a battle plan, if you will, a strategy for war to defeat the enemy. Now, we believe that the Spirit literally inspired Paul through his physical circumstances. As Paul remains under house arrest every single day, he's observing a Roman soldier. A Roman soldier in Paul's time was feared by those in opposition to Rome. It was loved by those in allegiance to Rome and honestly probably hated by almost everyone because of who they were. The many weren't very good people. There were few. It's thought that Paul wrote this as he observed the very soldier who was holding him, holding him captive. So as we read these words and close out this letter to Ephesians, I want to remind you of something I shared with you the very first week in the book. We looked at Paul's encounter with the Ephesian elders as Paul descends into Jerusalem for the final time. The words of encouragement that he shared with them, the warnings that he gave them, and then finally the tears that were shed as both sides realized they would never see one another again. Paul is now writing what are likely his final words to this precious 
beloved church. So imagine the emotion that would have filled Paul as he pins this dire warning to always, always, always be prepared. Don't take the emotional element out of it from Paul's perspective. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. We'll read the whole passage through. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take a stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up your shield of faith which with, with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, the words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. And then his final greetings. To Kikos, the dear brother and faithful servant of the Lord will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. I'm going to pause just for a moment and briefly comment on this before we go back to the meat of this passage, the armor of God. This Tukikos person, he must have been an incredibly devoted follower of Christ and companion of Paul because he's not only mentioned in Ephesians. He's mentioned in the book of Acts, which Luke wrote. He's mentioned in Colossians. He's mentioned in 2 Timothy, and he's mentioned in Titus. Paul doesn't waste time on paper or ink describing his own physical circumstances. He sends his loyal companion to report on that because Paul's letters are rarely about him. In this closing, he indicates to us how distressed the church was that was receiving this letter. They were worried about Paul. And he says, hey, I'm going to send somebody to let you know I'm doing great. Don't worry about me. Then he reminds them all that we should pray with that attitude of Paul. Imagine having that attitude of Paul, the circumstances he's in, a flawed man like every one of us, yet here he is demonstrating humility and love for others throughout. It's an incredible perspective that we should think about in our lives as well. But on to the battle. We're called to be strong. We're called to stand strong, but not on our own. All of our strength is in the Lord. It is his power, his strength, his guidance that empowers and protects us. We have to understand that it is a choice that you and I make daily, a daily choice to be prepared to face the enemy today or not. Paul illustrates this as he reminds his readers to put on, put on the full armor of God, to clothe ourselves 
with this armor. The armor is provided by God. It is sustained by God. The only power it has is from God. Our role, our job is to put it on. But we have to be willing to do that. He will not put it on us. He will not force us to do that. Now, I wrote this as I was sitting in Chick-fil-A over in Terre Haute. Hey, sometimes it's a good thing to do. I was watching hundreds of people file in and out of that restaurant at lunchtime. There were 30 to 40 high school FFA students in their purple jackets that came in for lunch on their way to the National Convention in Indianapolis. I saw moms, I saw dads, I saw businessmen, I saw businesswomen. And I wondered about every single one of them, are they a believer? But then I began to think a little deeper. If they are a believer, then how are they under attack today? How is the enemy scheming against them today? Are they holding up? Are they fighting back or are they giving in? Do they even sense the attack upon them yet? And as I speak with you, I wonder the exact same thing for each of us today. How are we individually and as a church standing up to the attacks that exist all around us? I do know this. There's many of us that have been deceived by Satan himself. Because as of right now, we are fighting against flesh and blood within our own lives. The enemy has shifted the focus off himself and the spiritual forces of evil. So much so that many deny that such a thing even exists. He has done a masterful job. So we as believers, we have to double down, refocus, remember who and what it is that we're fighting against and what exactly it is that we're fighting for. So here you go with the armor. Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be ready to stand your ground. And when you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Remember, these are the armaments that Paul likely sees the Roman soldier who might even be sitting next to him, possibly even chained to him, as he is writing. Now, it's our belief that this belt was actually probably a piece of leather worn around the waist, more like an apron, we would call it in today's society. It was worn beneath the armor. Paul compares this to the Christian weapon of truth. This is huge. Satan is the father of lies. It's all that he knows. And if you look at the world all around us and you listen to the things that the world claims exist, the things that the world claims is important, you can make a long list of very outrageous items if you would like. The reality is one of the things that the world will most likely deny is the existence of truth. Of all the things out there, the only absolute, the thing that is the absolute truth is not to be believed. Just consider that for a moment and how ridiculous the whole idea is. When absolute facts are presented, typically in today's culture, they're denied in favor of subjective opinions or feelings. What is this? Well, it's confusing to most people. They don't understand. If there's truth, then how can these things be true as well? So truth is our weapon to fight back with. The truth, when presented with love through the Holy Spirit within us, has the power to set free those bound by the confusion of this world. It makes things clear. Do you remember the power of the truth that Jesus shares with us, John 8, 32? Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Yeah. But keep in mind, the belt of truth does not only imply that you know the truth. You have to put it on. 
You have to live the truth. You have to live by the truth. You have to live a life of honesty and integrity. Things void in this world for sure. And things only made possible when we're wearing the full armor of God. Now, the breastplate of righteousness is a pretty obvious weapon, a piece of their armor. You know its purpose. It protects all the vital organs nearly. It's the first line of defense even today for police and others that wear their bulletproof vests. (laughs) The life of a Christian, this piece too guards your heart against the attacks of the evil one. It has the power to keep the heart pure, to keep it from being deceived. So many of the world's attacks on Christianity come from an emotional or heartfelt position, one that seems like a good thing. This protection allows you to hold to the truth and not be deceived by the emotional pleas that the world will throw at you, all the while having compassion on those who bring those pleas. This righteousness represents a couple of different things. First and foremost, it represents the perfect, absolute righteousness of Jesus that is imparted to us through our acceptance of his sacrifice. But it also represents our practical righteousness. It's not perfect, it's very flawed, but every day we must choose to live a righteous life within the teachings of our Lord. When we live this way, we are now protected from Satan. Our personal conduct, our choices either expose us to attack or they put us in a defensive posture where the enemy would be wasting his time to even try to attack us because he knows he won't win. One that always confused me, (laughs) our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. I never understood that even as a kid, even on the picture. It just doesn't make sense. What does this mean? Well, the footwear of the soldier in Paul's time was very unique. It was strong. It was light. It was studded with some type of sharp, sharp objects on the bottom for extra grip. Soldiers were allowed to navigate very difficult terrain, travel great distances fairly comfortably in a very long or in a very short period of time. Without his footwear, the soldier was completely unready, unprepared for battle. With it, they'd be ready to stand their ground and fight. This piece of our Christian armor is absolutely essential. It is the firm foundation of our belief. It's the base, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of peace, the good news of peace that we can take even to our enemies. The enemy is in constant constantly trying to separate us from God. He's trying to separate us from our source of strength and all that is good. But here's the thing, he can't do that unless you let him. Jesus has bought you and he's brought you peace between yourself and God. And we have to remember that Christ died to bridge that gap between us and God and offer this peace. This peace is what's given to us through Jesus, but we're not only at peace with God, No, we have the peace of God within us. And this peace gives us the power to overcome things like worry and fear and doubt and anxiety. So if you're struggling with those right now, it's possible you might be wearing the wrong footwear. Because this footwear also gives us some forward mobility to attack our enemy with the gospel of peace. Think about that. It sounds funny. Attack the enemy with the gospel of peace. How does that work? Well, if you think about the culture in which we live today, People are attacking everybody everywhere, are they not? And what are they attacking them with? Hatred, violence, lies, just to name a few things. While we are to attack with the gospel, the good news of the love of Jesus that he has for them. 
and the lengths that he went to to prove that love. Now that's quite a weapon in the world which we live today. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Again, the Roman shield was a remarkable thing for its day. It was two and a half feet wide, four and a half feet tall, really designed to protect the entire human body. An incredible piece of armament, nearly impenetrable for its day. For the Christian, this piece of armor is essential because attacks will continue to come. I don't care who you talk to in this room or what age they are, the attacks will continue to come. And Jesus promised us we would have trouble so we can know that. But this trouble can come from anywhere. We have to be ready at all time. Our shield of faith, our complete trust in God, our faith in Christ can deflect anything that the enemy can throw at us. But the shield can also represent our dependence on the body of Christ, the church. Because as the enemy surrounds us and attacks from every side, we need each other to protect the backside, don't we? Think about that. The shield of faith also represents a life of faith, a life of service. We've shared through the course of this book that God's designed for each of us to grow and to mature in the body of Christ and the role that serving plays in that process. When you take up your shield of faith and you start serving, you're going to start fighting for those that don't know the love of Jesus yet. You will start protecting those that might be weak or under attack in that moment. Your faith in God can help you strengthen others as well. The final two, the helmet of salvation. Now, soldiers did not wear this helmet all the time. They only put it on when it was time to fight. For the Christian, this is the hope that we have in salvation, through eternal life, through the power of the blood of Jesus. The final outcome of the battles that we're a part of, well, that's actually already been decided. We know who wins. The assurance of salvation is our impenetrable defense against anything that the enemy can throw at us. Jesus said, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell, Matthew 10, 28. The idea in this verse is that we <clears throat> got to prepare for Satan's attacks. We got to grab the helmet. We got to buckle it on very tightly because salvation is not a one-time act. A lot of Christians think it is. It is not a one-time act in the past or a future hope for us. It is daily protection and deliverance from our sin nature and Satan's schemes. And as we wear that helmet of salvation every day, our minds become more insulated against the suggestions, the desires, and the traps that the enemy lays for us. We choose to guard our minds. When we choose to guard our minds from excessively, excessive worldly influence and instead think on things that honor Christ, this helmet of salvation is a huge, huge deal. Finally, the last traditional piece of the armament, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, it is interesting, and it's been noted, you've probably heard, that Paul really truly only lists one offensive weapon. Now, you and I both know that a sword is both offensive and defensive in nature. But notice that this weapon is totally and completely from God. It is His Word. It is His Spirit. My weapon is not my words. It's thankfully not the mind of Chris because that would be weak. 
It's the word of God. The spirit of the Lord is both the source for God's word as well as the one who gives effectiveness to its cutting edge. Paul does not use the normal Greek word logos. Throughout the New Testament, the word of God is often called logos or logos. Paul does not use that word here. This is the rare time where he uses something else. He uses the word rima, which means the spoken or declared word, even as specific as a certain portion of God's revelation. You see, it's not the word of God sitting on the shelf. It's not the word of God neatly stored on our phones just in case we need it. It is an offensive weapon. It is the word of God proclaimed. It's also completely, completely ineffective without proper training in how to use it. We have to take up our sword by reading the word, by memorizing the word, by meditating on the word, by studying the word, by being in atmospheres like this where the word is proclaimed and explained. The author of Hebrews reminds us a very famous passage, the power of the word of God as he describes it, alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the very thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The word of God penetrates to the deepest part of man and exposes the motives and the heart of the person, which is why the world despises the word of God. The word of God, when properly understood and correctly proclaimed, it turns back evil, it destroys strongholds, and it rescues the captives, doesn't it? The sword of the Spirit is the power of God within us. Paul then turns to close the letter, and he shares with us the seventh piece of the armor of God, which probably wasn't on your poster in your classroom because they didn't know how to draw it. <laughs> Remember, these are Paul's final words to the leaders, to all of those gathering in this region of Asia. So don't forget the passion behind what he's writing. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. Be alert. Be alert. Always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Paul closes this letter by reminding us that all of this is only made possible through prayer. I read it described this way. A soldier must make, maintain contact with their commanding officer. <laughs> We have to rely on his plans, not ours. We have to submit to his desires, not ours. This prayer is absolutely a part of the armor that Paul is describing. It is essential. Our prayer in the Spirit is what allows the Spirit to intervene on our behalf, even when we don't know what to say. Paul writes more of this weapon than he does any of the others. Most of the others are recorded in just a sentence or half of a sentence at best. Paul spends a paragraph plus describing this part of the armament. Also, keep in mind, this is the seventh piece of the armor, which Paul is listing here. Whether intentional or not, the number seven in Scripture always means completion, fulfillment within the Word of God. These are all that we need. 
but we've got to be alert. We talked to this in, in, in week six, chapter five of the book of Ephesians. Many believers, too many in fact, have fallen asleep in the pews or chairs as we have here. We got to wake up. We got to be ready to fight. So pastor, are you saying that maybe possibly one of the reasons that I'm constantly feel like I'm under attack and I feel like I'm losing these battles is because I am not suited up for battle? Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much exactly what we're saying. <laughs> it is indeed. Put on the full armor of God. Any one of those pieces missing leaves you exposed. In order for God to, for, in order for that armor to fulfill the God-given purpose, the God-inspired, God-powered purpose in your life, you got to put it on. It doesn't do any good if you're not wearing it. And remember, this is a very important thing. None of this armor protects the backside. If we are not surrounded by believers who have our back, we're in trouble. And if we happen to turn and run, we are fully exposed. Our breastplate serves absolutely no purpose. Our shield is literally dead weight, slowing us down, and our sword is rendered useless. The gospel of peace was never meant to be hidden. No, it's supposed to be a shining city on a hill to be proclaimed. So are we ready? Are we ready to walk out of these doors prepared for battle? And I don't know about you, but I have really enjoyed the study through Ephesians. And there's so many things, including these, that could be expanded on exponentially. But this survey hopefully gives you a little bit of guidance. There's so many tools and useful things for you, your spiritual walk, for your family, for your relationships, and for your fight in this battle that we current currently are waging. Thank you for joining us through this book. I pray that God uses the words of Paul to encourage you, to challenge you, and to create within you the desire to become who he designed you to be. And that little saying that, that well, you're going to hear quite frequently because I, I kind of like it, we'll never become who God wants us to be by remaining who we are. And so if today you came here and you've never accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, then God does not want you to remain in that state. He wants to move you into the category of his child, of a part of his family for all eternity. We pray that the Spirit puts that decision on your heart. If there are things throughout this chapter or this book that have challenged you personally, there's nothing more we would like than to hear those stories of how, God word, how God's word is impacting you, if you feel like I need to confess something before God, I need to come and repent of something before God, the altar is always, always open for that to happen. If you need to come forward and pray, maybe you have something going on in your life that nobody else knows about except God. And you want to bring that before God, you want to bring that before man and share that so that can be lifted up. Don't hesitate to do that. We are so, so conditioned in our church culture to stay seated. So conditioned. What would happen on the day of Pentecost if 3,000 people stayed seated? Just asking. It's a legitimate question. When the Spirit moves, respond. Father God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity. I, I still, even though I've, I've taught on it, I've studied it, the fact that we have this book in our possession, that we have these letters, these fragile documents that were written by hand, on what we would call paper that didn't hold up and didn't last. And yet here we are 2,000 years after these letters were written and we have a almost perfectly genuine copy 
of it to study. We can use your word, Father. Your clearly hand was upon saving that for us. We pray that these words of Paul in the book of Ephesians challenges us as a body of believers, challenges us as individuals, that we don't let these things slide past and, well, that must be for somebody else. Oh, yeah, I know somebody that would impact. No. Father, let the word of God penetrate deep into our souls as the author claims it does. Let it be our strength. Let it be our weapon. Let us be prepared for the battles that lie ahead. And if there's anyone here that the Spirit is moving, we pray that they will listen and respond in the way you're asking them. It's in Jesus' name we pray.